Welcome to the Dr. Funk Podcast. On this week's episode, the doc interviews former Paisley Park drum tech and sound engineer Scott Baldwin and also discusses the latest in Paisley Park news. And now, he ain't funkin' just for kicks, no, Dr. Funkenberry. Uh, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Dr. Funk Podcast. This week, we're going to have a special guest, Scotty P., Scott Baldwin in the house, Prince's recording engineer from 1990 up until earlier this year during the Welcome, the micro piano and microphone shows of 2016. Remember, subscribe to us on iTunes, get us hooked up on Stitcher, leave us reviews if you want. Thank you so much hitting the 50 plateau, love reading your comments, even the negative ones, you freaking trolls. We're going to get into that. What's up, Chris? What up, Doc? This is fun, man. How was your weekend? Oh, great weekend. Um, I was lucky enough, we might touch on this, but I was lucky enough to see a couple movies on Blu-ray this weekend before it came out in retail. Shucky ducky now. um, Under the Cherry Moon and Graffiti Bridge, which, I'm sorry, Graffiti Bridge is so underrated. Yeah, it is. Anyway. Yeah, so I watched a lot of movies and, and hung out on the couch. It was great. That's cool. My weekend apparently was just trying to sip tea and apparently shade was thrown and then people... Getting upset because they don't know everything, even like close friends. I'm just going to touch on this. Some things just need to be said. It's all love, you know, but there's just some things that are done. You know, apparently, you know, Prince gave me songs over the years, sound check songs, rehearsal songs, Days of Wild and Loose, Dance Electric, Old Friends for Sale. He wanted me to sell them on my site. You know, there, there was even talks of t-shirts and whatnot, me using the Dr. Funkenberry with the Prince logo. I didn't want to do really? that. Okay, cool. So I had permission for that. And mm-hmm. I just felt, nah, the way it's going to look is too opportunistic. And that's when he was here. And same with the songs. He was just trying to find ways, knowing about health situations and whatnot, find ways to get me money. But then I'm like, dude, how are we going to cut this up? What percentage am I going to give you? What percentage are you going to give me? Because it's your music. Way too much math. So, you know, I even went as far as we had single covers created for the songs, had a Bandcamp account that's still private, which I get an update on every three months. Hey, your stuff's still here. So we had everything set up through that. Didn't want to do it. You know, and this is stuff that he gave me permission for. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, there are bootleg recordings of it out now, but whatever. All I'm just trying to say is that it's all love, but there would be emails that he would send me over the years about not wanting his symbol used, that it's still a copyright, that it's still him. We not use it as much as he used to. So when we when we create artwork or LV would create artwork, there would be stories I would post. you like, please make sure not to use the symbol or please let LV know. To not use the symbol. Who's LV? LV would be like the art director that was for me and then started doing stuff for Prince okay. from Third Eye Girl on along gotcha. with Martin. So it was important to him that this wasn't used in any fashion. So what am I supposed to do when I keep saying that I'm trying to protect Prince's legacy and I'm trying to do stuff? And like I said, it's all about love and there's going to be different situations and it's interesting to me because people are like, oh, I'm a walking contradiction or I'm a hypocrite. 
And now I'm like, now I know why print people would say about prints all the time. Cause in each situation you'd have to handle it differently. So them calling me a hypocrite, them saying I'm a walking contradiction. I'm like, that's what they used to say about him in situations like this. So I'm doing what he would want. And that's what it's all about. You guys can call me all the names that you want. You can say that I'm not getting it. You can say you're unfollowing me. I'm sorry. I'm doing it for him. I'm doing it for you guys. It's not to squash anybody or put someone low on a pole. You know, like I said, different situations, t-shirts being sold, books being written. It's different for each thing. I wish he was still here. So we wouldn't have to freaking deal with it. How about that? You know? So, (coughs) and then knowing that this week was going to be a cluster mess, you know, they had the council meeting for Paisley park. We know that, Taika is going to be on the Today Show this week, and um, they're going to be doing Taika's Princess Sister, for those not familiar with the situation, and they're going to be doing a tour of Paisley Park without work on the Today Show. People are like, why not Tamron Hall? I don't think she's ready yet. No. Um, She didn't want to talk about him after his passing and the drug use. They took her off network news for that. So that's why they chose Al. Al has been a Prince fan for a while. Even when he was Big Al, you can watch the Dinner with Dolores performance <laughs> and him rocking out yep. to Zana Lee and all that stuff. So <clears throat> the main thing was knew about the council meeting being done live. You know, I didn't tweet it out or Facebook it out. Maybe it was because there's part of me that goes, if this doesn't go the way that they expect it to, this is going to be a mess. And I rather be able to deal with it in that sense of afterwards, not during and then be able to have the right information out. Of course, some other schmucks that were not, not trusted when he was here to do stuff and he had to play nice with because the one time they didn't play nice, there was a huge fan backlash. Doesn't get the memo on that. Then people are tweeting about, you know, and we're going to talk about the council meeting, but first that they said that, no, we're not approving the zoning for it. We're going to delay it. We're going to court it. So... Then people are like, oh, it says right here, no refunds on tickets. That's on the purchaser's side, okay? That's on your side, Chris. Say you're buying tickets to the tour. Right. If I can't refund them. You can't get a refund. Yeah. But if Paisley isn't open on the dates that you have, they have to refund you or try to schedule it on a different date right. for a later date at the future. It's hard to do that in 140 characters. And all I'm trying to just say is, like, everyone just chill. It's freaking 11 p.m. after 11 p.m. when this is done. Londell doesn't name me up till 3.50 in the morning. The other person doesn't name me up till 6 o'clock in the morning. Um, and this is L.A. time. So just, like, everyone just chill out. And, of course, because the noise the other person was making and they – people come to me for the accurate stuff, it makes more of a mess for me. And it's just, like, great. This is why I wish – I know I would have been a dick and been on his side and done other things, but I didn't. It's just like there's just a certain way to do things. There's there's a reason why I didn't tweet it out. I didn't Facebook out. It's because I had a feeling maybe it wasn't going to go the way that it should. Just sit back and wait and just find out what happened. Then I have to clean up the mess. Right. Yeah. And then I get crap for it because they're like, oh, did it? I'm like, no, what I'm talking about is the tickets. So that was that whole thing. And. You know, after the weekend I had with that, you know, like, look, I got to keep defending him because no one else is. And I get I'll get 
tweets, direct messages, or texts from former employees that are like, um, <clears throat> you know, hey, I love that's tweet of the year, or thank you so much for saying it. They can't say it publicly. Right. They get interviewed on TMZ and stuff, but they can't say it publicly. Like, this is what people understand. The last people that are close to them, they don't want to speak right now. So I've been kind of like their voice. Other lawyers in the past, other managers, they understand what's going on. And then the fans are like, why are you going after this person? Like, this is such an integral part. They were at one time. But the way that things did it, and then shortly after his passing, that person speaking of his hip pain and other stuff and saying that he was addicted to it, when no one was talking about that, you brought it to their attention. Like, right, why bring it up? That's what started all this. Yeah. Oh, he was addicted. Like, look, if you if, if think about it, you remember the autopsy report. You remember when they came to the conclusion. Of course, they're still doing an investigation. They said they had a cut on his hip. He already had the hip surgery. Stop. Let's get, just get back to Paisley because apparently I spilled <laughs> enough tea or whatnot. It's Look, it's all love. You guys can get upset at me. I don't care because it's about him and trying to get out to the best interest of you. Because look, you want a shirt with a sim line. You can't buy that right now. And here it is, a person that was close to him selling it. Fear you're doing the right thing. Okay? It's like the person selling a starfish and coffee shirt that they wouldn't have sold when he was here but is now selling it. Yeah, I'm spilling tea everywhere. I don't care who I offend. I don't think you guys got it. Is I'm not picking sides with everyone. Am I happy that Maite's writing a book? No, but it's her story to tell, and he's no longer here, and we already got that damn thing as I put it down your guys' throats a million times. <laughs> There's different things now. I don't care who I offend. It's about protecting him and trying to look out for the fans. And if you get pissed off at me, call me a hypocrite. It call, call me a walking contradiction. It's exactly what he did when he was here. So, again, I'm sorry. feel I'm doing him right. So, about... <laughs> The council meeting. Go on some points that they were talking about here. Sure. Let's go. Let's let the doc catch his breath. And get some tea, apparently, because <laughs> I need it before we get Scotty on. So um, I just wanted to go over a few just um, points, and you can interject and right. give your ideas of what you think of this. Um, first of all, one of the biggest parts, I think, of all of this that really hit the fans hard was the fence. And mm, I don't even the wall. Yeah. Right. I don't even know where it originated, but somehow, some way someone said, we're going to put someone up a fence said, just like the someone that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah we're going to build a wall. Oh, well, they took off all of the, all of the, um, the tributes from the chain link fence that were on there. And, um, so that ruffled a lot of feathers, now, obviously. Can I just say something here? Yeah, go for it. What, what's, what's okay. When are they going to start learning to stop crapping on the fans? Okay. Hear me out. They meaning Bremer trust. Bremer trust. Okay. Th- th- who's not thinking like you're going to upset the fans. This is their tribute to them. They don't have closure. They don't have healing. You're having this going on and look. Yeah. We still haven't had a tribute. They haven't had a freaking memorial for him. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah. Can't you warn the fans on this date? We're going to be taking down the stuff. No ifs, ands, buts about it. We need to do this because stuff's happening. We're going to be putting it in here. Again, it had to be brought up in the council meeting that this other stuff that's on the fence is going to be with the other items. Yeah. Why can't yeah. 
They say it beforehand. Stop crapping on the fans to where someone just shows up at Paisley and goes, uh, all gone. the stuff's gone. Yeah, a live And there's some post. stuff in the mud. Yeah, that's the part that I think really Stop hurt. it, because this this woman, Heidi, she's been cleaning up and doing persevering stuff. They could have worked with her. Yep. They, you know, I know that there's people in there that know who she is, you know? Mm-hmm. Stop crapping on the fans and all this stuff. The wall, give me a freaking break, at least on that. But with the fence, with them putting up items, and again, for the future, why not just give the fans a heads up? Heads up Again, yep. that's what I would try to do before tickets would go on sale for events. And I know that would be a high price. I'd be like, oh, you know, be careful. It might be a lot higher than you think. There's not anyone that has a filter for the fans that says, hey, this is what we're going to do. It just happens. So sad. Too bad. Bye-bye. No, screw you. We're trying to help him to make sure the government doesn't control Paisley and other stuff. And you guys are doing a crap job of that. The MPG music publishing could be getting used. That's why the family wants to get Trevor Guy in is because he knows how to do that. Mm-hmm. Questlove could be having a month of guests that freaking come out to print songs, every single thing. You're doing it for Scandal. Shauna Rhyme shows that she's a huge fan. She may be able to pay a higher royalty rate that would help get Bremer Trust from not from owing June alone $2.1 million in lawyer fees. I'm getting a freaking headache here <laughs> talking about this stuff because there's certain ways to make money, and I'm a freaking person living in encino california doing this show been looking out for prints i should not be be i don't have a background on this how how am i supposed to know more what the fans want than you want give me a freaking break bring me on as a consultant we don't have to get paid right now let's just get the stuff right so the fans stop getting treated like crap sorry man i was trying to let you go go ahead with that but the freaking wall on that fence just pissed me off go right ahead so let me talk more about the fence then <laughs> no hey man I know that you you're very passionate about this, and we all want to look out for his best interest. So, but I'm the hypocrite. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Okay. So, in the meeting, they did talk about the the fence, and they did say that nobody nobody, meaning either the fans or the applicant, as they were uh, referred to in the meeting, which is Bremer Trust or Graceland Holdings, whatever you want to call them, got something right. Yeah. Nobody wants an opaque fence. Uh, especially not an eight-foot-high opaque fence, which was getting thrown around. Opaque means uh, something you cannot see through. Right. Okay. Um, the code is, in what is there now, is a six-foot-six fence. So even if they were to replace the fence, uh, they only have to be six-foot-six. But they are going to let it be up to the the applicant whether or not a fence is put up or a wall is put up because it really is their... Uh, it's it's their choice. But what they did say was um, their main concern was basically pedestrian and vehicle safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to make sure that um, they want to monitor the traffic to see if any of the pedestrians on the you know fans around the fence are going to affect the safety of vehicles driving up and down Route 5 and Audubon or um, uh, the traffic going across the street when they're not supposed to. So they basically said... As long as fans don't put stuff on the fence, it should be okay. Mm. Which I thought was, it seemed like Chanhassen was really on the side of the fans, but they ultimately said it's really not up to them and it's up to what the applicant wants. So basically the council that is not going to be allowing the tours on time was looking out more so than the fans than Bream or Trust was, who, and Graceland or whatever, who's running the establishment. 
interesting. Yeah. Um, one cool thing I thought was nice that they did talk about um, the ability to park at Lake Ann Park, uh, which is across the street on the, I believe it's the north side of uh, Highway 5, where uh, <coughs> now there is actually a pathway that goes underneath Highway 5, which is two tunnels that are basically what they're calling kind of gra- the new graffiti bridge where people are signing and it actually leads right up to Paisley Park. Um, they actually, when when asked about that, um, the council said they don't have a problem with fans parking there and walking across. Cool. Because it's a it's a it's a city park. They want people to use it, and they're not going to tell people what they can and can't do when they park there. Cool. So that I thought was kind of a nice win. So if you're going to go to Paisley Park to go look, and you don't have a tour scheduled. Don't park across the street at the daycare or down the street from Paisley Park. Park at Lake Ann Park and walk under the bridge. Okay? Um, okay. Their biggest, their biggest issue was traffic management. And so I think, obviously, we found that out at the end when they decided to, to, to table it. But um, the, we found out that the hours of operation are going to be 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., which right. was interesting because I think you can actually sign up for tours that are after 9 p.m. Yeah, but we're not gonna we're not gonna. The get Friday that. Saturdays were supposed to have the park open till midnight okay. originally, but yeah. So, um, some some other notable things. Um, they did mention that the round building is um, may be used as a hotel with a maximum of thirty five <sighs> units because they were talking about coding and if that would be allowed, and the answer was yes, that would be allowed. Yeah, unfortunately, that's not what he had planned for that building. Maybe do what he wanted in a restaurant, but yeah, swing by the egg. Anybody? Yeah, go ahead. So yeah, I just thought that was interesting that apparently um, the applicant is thinking of using it as a hotel. Of course they are yeah. because they don't want Chanhassen Inn or other people to get their money. Their money, right? Um, <clears throat> the other thing I thought was really interesting was that they had permitted uh, for twelve indoor concerts per year to be done. So basically one concert a month um, mm. and then also allowing them to have private events on a permit basis. So basically whenever they had a private event, so let's say we wanted to rent it out for our corporation, we could go and have a private function inside right. um, that would be allowed. They would just have to have um, capacity seating charts just to make sure everything was okay with the uh, fire codes and whatnot. What do you think about the the 12 concerts maximum per year? What I think about is it's still too soon, and they should have been working on the publishing and other stuff. This all proves that they didn't have freaking the zoning right, and now people that are flying out on certain dates either got to make it in or they're not going to make it in. And these VIP tours that they purchased are supposed to be 15 people per person. Now it's going to be 50. Again, too soon. There was other ways to make money. It was through the publishing and other stuff, like... It's just it's just too soon, you know. Like the thing is, I understand the fans needing closure, needing to heal, and stuff for that. The thing is, it just should have been done right. They were looking for too quick of a turnaround because they wanted to make money before it got really cold there. And yep. who's suffering again? Yep. The, fans the fans who are flying out, the hotels, all this stuff, and this is why I get pissed at these twitter people that just they don't think of that and then they don't understand like certain people that were at the council meeting 
worked for Paisley Park Tea. I know some people didn't get along with her, whatever. I had a little row with her in January when I was there, whatever. The thing is, is that there's certain things that are known. And if you're trying to do it from far away and you're not there, it, it's it's harder. You're kind of doing a little bit of a disservice. If we can all work together on stuff, maybe there won't be so many misinformation. Um, you know, we were trying... You know, as me and Karen, we made the Purple Army, the Prince Army. Um, you know, and Trevor was trying to get different factions, like a Prince Army Australia, Prince Army UK, you know, just having, trying to be different things. And we're working on that. And we're discussing certain people. I don't think they were ever contacted outside of me in 2015 to start doing this. But it was a plan. And I just felt that this is how we all should be is together. You have one person trying to tear us apart. My, my problem is is just the fans getting crapped on again. And they didn't have stuff ready. And then I don't know what the mayor thought. I'm not trying to disrespect on anything. But I thought he thought it was going to be a slam dunk. And it wasn't. Yeah, I think uh, both sides thought it was going to just... They'd be able to throw something together and uh, it would go fly through. And... Nope. Just reminds me because I spoke with Jerome Benton ugh, like a month ago. He was begging me to go down to Minnesota and get involved with stuff. I'm like, they don't want me there, man. They want me there because I'm going to be throwing tea in person, throwing shade in person. But he was like, dude, when he was trying to build Paisley, the city council of Chan Hassan was giving him a hard time. It's kind of like when I started getting the feeling that maybe this thing may go the wrong way. Got a heads up on a month ago. He's like, man, they were giving him such a hard time trying to build on that property. When there was nothing there, they're giving <laughs> him a hard time. They didn't care about him then. Care about him now. I'm like, look, the city of Minnesota loves him. It, it took it took a while, okay? Years. Look at look at Vikings games now. Their purple rain shirt. That Their defense is named the purple R-E-I-G-N. And then when they score touchdowns now, they play Let's Go Crazy. It's different now. In the wild. But now, here we are again. Paisley is an issue. Yeah. The zoning now. They well, were they trying did, to rush it. And they did say, I think one, one of the things is that they, they said, look, we've got one shot to do this right. Let's get it right. Which is ironic because that's not what Bremer Trust thought. <laughs> they no. just thought, let's just throw something together, dazzle them with BS and they'll just say, yes, 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 get all the revenue into our city. Look, they wanted Paisley open before the concert October 13th. Right. They wanted to start getting people in there and reasons for them to go and stay there. It wasn't and, about getting money to the community of Chanhausen. No. What it was was... is getting people in there before it gets cold, too, right. right? Yeah. Another thing is just that I was telling people on the show, I kind of would wait before doing the tour if you're not going to go to the concert. Because people think that the first, you know, logic to other things that aren't Prince related, the first few tours you go to, you know, you probably get more than other people until they start doing stuff. I actually feel it's in reverse of this way. Right. They're constantly going to be adding things. They're going to get feedback. Yeah. They're going to have someone who doesn't give a crap about anyone else but him that's going to be calling them out every single week, making things difficult. And when I say stuff about, oh, you know, I tear the wall down last week, I'm not trying to be arrogant. What I'm trying to do is is that 
I was a voice for him. I was a voice of the fans for a long time when he was here. All I'm trying to do now is be the voice of you guys now. And that you guys didn't want a wall. I fight for it. But I'm like, oh, he's so arrogant. He thinks he's going to do this. No, it's because I'm feeling that the Purple Army is behind me. Prince's army. Not Londell's army. Not anyone else's army. Prince's army. The Purple Army. Right. I'm trying to do it for them. That's where my arrogance isn't coming for me. It's for fighting for them. And you talk all the crap you want about me. I don't care. I'll curse you out at 2 o'clock in the morning and be pissed off and send an email to someone instead of tweeting about it. But that's all you're going to get. They're not doing this. I'm just glad that they did get a temporary license for certain dates. Not all. Certain dates. And now everything's got to be curtailed. You know. I just wanted it done right from the start. And it's not. I just think the later it goes on, the more they'll get it right. And right now, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, it's like you don't go to a, a restaurant the first uh, the first night that it opens. You wait till they work out the kinks. They get the they get the flow down. And like you said, you know they're going to have more memorabilia. They're going to have all that. Um, one thing that they did um, point out was uh, they're also working with the Mall of America, which they kind yeah. of thought that was, you know, as an exhibition. Crap. Yeah, I think it's just to try to get people over there and... Oh, let me rent you this space and say, well, here, here, here's Prince's wardrobe. Here's this. <laughs> there will be more over there. You can take a tour bus right there from Minnesota. Yeah, so, you know? <laughs> that's what they sound like. A, I'm just yeah. like, but yeah, it's freaking salesman trying to yeah. sell you stuff. It's, you know what? It's, it's they're trying to say, look at this nice shiny thing over here so you don't see the... The, the fuster cluck that is uh, over here. The Paisley nice, Rock. shiny thing I'm pointing at them right now is my middle finger, but that's Ooh. all I'm going to say about anyway. that. Okay, one last thing that um, I wanted to go over that I thought was really eye-opening was they mentioned the tent, and my ears immediately perked up. I'm like, what the hell, a tent? This is Camping. Paisley Park in Minneapolis, <laughs> you know, in uh, Chanhassen. Right. So apparently they're going to have the retail space is going to be in a tent outside. Not inside like we just assumed. So, but it's going to be pretty large. They said they're allowed to have a tent up to twenty percent of the entire floor space of the building. Mm. That's big. I mean, just think of just the sound stage. Twenty percent of, of the sound stage. It's a ton of merchandise. And it's to get everyone out of there, so you guys aren't lingering around Paisley. Hey, you want to buy some merch? Get exactly. Out of the building. So yeah, so they didn't really go much into the tent. Um, all they really said was, "Is that allowed?" Yes, it is allowed under the coding as long as it's up to 20% of the floor space right. and not more. So interesting tidbit that we learned about the retail spot space. So it won't be infringing on the inside of Paisley, which I'm kind of happy with. I thought there was gonna, I thought they were going to just turn the music, um, the NPG music room into a, a big uh, retail store. So I'm Hopefully glad they're not, not doing that. Glad they're not doing that. But. but they did say it's temporary retail. So who knows what they're going to do in the long, in the long haul. And of course, they made a lot of modifications to turn lanes and stripings. They're going to move the the entrance from where it is now. They're going right. to move it down away. It's going to be the like corner. a cul-de-sac, but they yeah. didn't say that. And yeah, it's a cul-de-sac. They, they connected the two parking lots, the north and south parking lot, and uh, you can go on and and uh, see all the the presentation with all the parking spaces and stuff. But anyway, yeah. That so about that. and before, like we're going to play a little intro from Scotty P of Prince. You know, talking about Scotty through a tour before we go into it next week we're going to be talking about the tribute concert we may have to have a bonus episode next week on friday we're going to try to get some people that were 
um, performing at the show on mm-hmm. a few other things. We'll take notes. We have eyes everywhere that actually have people that we know and met in person and didn't just tweet at. Cool. You know, that we've actually hugged and looked out for. So we're going to have that. But want you guys to enjoy this interview with Scotty P and then getting like the little sound uh, clip of him. And uh, we'll be right back with Scotty P, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you guys for letting me, I guess, allowing me to throw shade and throw some tea and hope I wasn't yelling too much in your guys' ears. I apologize for that. Much love. And here we are on the Dr. Funk podcast with our special guest, Scott, Scotty P, Scott Baldwin. Uh, he was Prince's rec- live recording engineer from 1990 on throughout at different times till this year of 2016. Scott, I want to thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing very well. Thank you. And I appreciate you and what you're doing and what you are um, giving the fans. I think this is something that's uh, needed. Thanks. Although some of them don't like it when I call certain people out, but that's how it has to be from now on. (laughs) You know, the truth is sometimes hard to deal with. And you have to, I think all people should respect that people would speak their mind and actually have something thoughtful to say and and not just protect, um, protect things that don't need to be protected. I don't mind a good call out. Right. I think you guys call it spilling tea. Is that what what I've heard? (laughs) I've been spilling a lot of tea lately. And We're going to try to clean it up today. Apparently, someone said this week I was throwing shade, not just spilling tea, oh, yeah. throwing shade. But I just sometimes feel that things need to be called out. It's nothing but love. It's not done out of hate or resentment or jealousy. It's just done because it needs to be done. Regardless, Scott, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Dave spoke highly of you, and we loved having Dave on. I think a lot more fans know who you are than Dave. Dave is a great source of information uh, but Scott, if you've been to Prince's shows at times, you'll hear him like, hey, Scotty, turn me up and all those other things, <laughs> you know, and I'm sure that's always been fun because there are certain times where, uh, you know, Prince is calling your name. It's a good thing. And there's sometimes when Prince is calling your name, it's a bad thing, huh? When it started, when it started, when it started with Scotty, it was bad. <laughs> but when he would throw Scotty at the end of it, it was always good. So it was easy for me to know what he meant. If he'd right. say, turn it up, Scotty it was more of a punctuation and he was just feeling good. But if it was Scotty turn Maceo up, then I knew it was probably not. He wanted Maceo turned up. Right now you first started like what around 1990. I started in 1990 as Michael Bland's drum tech. Uh So I, my introduction was, uh, sometime in 90, I started showing up at Paisley park as Michael's personal tech. I wasn't working uh, with Prince at the time and Prince saw I was always at the ready right behind Michael and because he's a big guy and hits hard uh, he would break stuff uh, quite <laughs> often and he would all sorts of stuff so I would have to like a NASCAR uh, pit stop crew pit crew I would have to leap in and sort of fix things on the go and and I think that clearly that left an impression on Prince and Michael asked if he said, Prince wants to know if you can go out on the road. So I said, sure. And going out of the road didn't mean leaving right away. It meant going into rehearsals. And uh, so I was his drum tech from essentially 90 through 94 is when I left to, to mix Sheila E. Sheila gave me my first um, uh, mixing gig as a professional. That's cool. Now, those rehearsals, now even before, they would how, how long would they last? Like I'm sure compared to other people, especially in 1990, 
something new. You're just Michael's drum tech. How long were the rehearsals go for and how many would you do in a day? Just curious. It was, uh, we were always in, if I remember correctly, and somebody's going to correct me on this, but I remember heading in around 10 every day. And I think we rehearsed six days a week. I'm pretty sure we had Sundays off. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we would just, it was, it was perpetual rehearsals, whether there was a tour or not, he was just always rehearsing. Right. And what he would do is he would rehearse and then he would take the band in at night after we would leave, they would stay and they would go in and record. So there was a reason for the rehearsal. It wasn't that he was deciding when he was going to tour or if he was going to tour. He just wanted, the band was always frosty and they were that good. They would rehearse songs. They would, we had no tour in mind and then he would, they'd be going in and cutting things every night as well. So, um, I believe we were in at 10. I think the band may have been in at noon or two and then we would go till seven or eight and, um, at least, and then we'd have to, I'd have to shuffle drum kits in and out of studio A and studio B all the time. So there, there was always something to do. I was always busy doing acoustic drums at that time so it's crazy because i was watching some interviews over the weekend and people were like you know prince would come in at 10 o'clock in the morning which is unheard of in rock and roll lifestyles and he'd be recording all night and it just shows it you guys would be off at seven the band would probably get like a two or three hour break to grab dinner then they'd have to come back and record all night probably till four o'clock five o'clock in the morning he'd do other things and then he'd be ready to go at 10 with you guys that's that's right that's wow. crazy. And he would he would beat I, I never let him beat me in there. I would always try and be <laughs> there first because you didn't I didn't want to show up and and have a messy riser and have to clean everything up. And he's already in playing bass. Um, he was always in even live uh, live because obviously he traveled uh, separate than the band. Mm-hmm. He would show up and they wouldn't be there yet. And that was um, there was some engineer. I forgot. I've forgotten now who it was, but. We were in Spain. We were in a bullfighting arena. This is probably 93. This is probably on. What tour would that have been? Act two. Uh, Act two. That's right. And um, we Sorry. were in some bullfighting arena. It was ungodly. It was maybe 100. And, it was it was in the hundreds. It was really, really, really. Um, wow. And I had long blonde hair at that time. And Prince showed up. And I was checking drums for the sound guys. And he picked up a bass and started playing. And at that point, he was he didn't trust his live sound guys at all. And and one was mm-hmm. on his way out. And so he had he flew two stu- he flew Tom Tucker and some other engineer I've forgotten who it is. I'll, I'll have to you'll have to figure it out for me. He, they flew over and they were just sort of uh, giving their input as to what should be done. Um, and uh, so they were consulting, in other words. And it was his dream to always to play with Prince. It was mm-hmm. a dream of his. And and um, Steve, is that who it was? Anyway, he, he no, it was David. I think his name was Dave. It okay. might have been Dave. And um, anyway, he, he used to play congas in Studio A. He used to play congas just in his off time in the in the lounge. And um, so when, when Prince looked at me and he said, um, Scotty, give me something. <laughs> and I was back there and I wasn't a drummer. I didn't drum. I, I knew how to keep play time but if i had to play toms i would stop and go do 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 i mean there was no it was and it's not that i didn't have soul i just had no groove Mm. so i just started i just started playing time started just four on the floor and i just played time and prince was playing bass and that maybe lasted that was a long time and and he looked up he said don't hit nothing in other words don't hit any cymbals i still did once in a while i'd hit a crash but I, I kept playing and, and during this time he's playing bass the whole time and it's loud on stage and I'm getting worn out and my time was probably horrible. But at that point, Sonny, Tommy, Morris, Michael Blant, they all come, uh, Levi, 
rather. Uh-huh. They come up and they're all around and watching us play. And then he's, he kept playing and then he looked around and he said, on the one. Eh. And I stopped and he always stopped on the one because he was just uh-huh. that cool. Yeah. Right? Never anything unfunky. It was always sexy. Always, he always, and, he, and to this day, I teach musical directors, hey, just stop on the one. Just call out on the one and stop. It's just sexier. It's more musical. He never yeah. wanted to hear anything unmusical. So he said on the one and I went, eh. And I just dropped the sticks and ah, oh, made this dramatic ah, <laughs> oh, right. And Prince leaned over and gave me, you know, slapped me five through the uh, drums. And I got off and Michael and Sonny, oh, Scotty, look at Scotty. And, and I would have, I, I honestly would have forgotten about that story, except um, the engineer, I think Dave is his name. I'm pretty sure he came over and he said, hey, man, do you realize what you just did? You just played with Prince. Like oh. You just lived my dream. And I saw in his face what that meant to him. And I understood. And I'm glad he said that because it, um, it's meaningful. You know, it was meaningful, even though it was really nothing. And it wasn't certainly clearly out of the, out of the, that out of the ordinary. But because we were all sort of this army of people that would do anything and were kind of fearless, even the technicians uh-huh. there. Um, I remember Stuart White coming up with all sorts of Jonathan Acre. There were some really great techs. Brad Marsh was there when I first joined as a drum tech. There were great uh, uh, technicians and fearless. There was no fear. Zeke Clark, when he came and did stuff for Prince, he changed the whole rig, threw stuff over his shoulders and redid things. And there was a fearlessness that, oh, you know, Prince never, I guess, never overtly gave us permission to have this fearlessness. It's just that he kind of bred a fearless quality in all of us right. and i think everyone took that to things that they did after that i certainly know i have it when you know run in running sound for all the artists that i with whom i've worked in sound afterward it's he bred a fearlessness and that's right. what i wrote about in that box set which ultimately ended up coming out which was completely fearless of prince to to release so yeah. as a drum tech 90 to 94 i learned how to work with him and I learned what sound engineers were doing wrong. And he had some great sound engineers that came through at that time. Mm-hmm. He had Vish Wadi and, and Rob Colby and and uh, Chris Wade Evans and Tony Blanc. He had some really good engineers. And they all left for one reason or, no- or another. But um, as Prince would tell me famously in 2004, I've never fired anyone in my career. They've all fired themselves. Yeah. And that sounds about right. Yeah, it sounds like something that's I would right. say. See, that's why everyone so, lived in fear. You didn't want that or the little side eye he'd give you. Oh, the side <laughs> eye. I'd gotten plenty of those. But, you know, it, it, as much success as I had with him and and um and the you know, because it's a real testament be, to a sound engineer when you get something that you do released, uh, whether it's whether it's a, a song on on a website or, or something that's live broadcast or anything, when you can do something live and fill a room with sound, and the ancillary benefit is that it's a re- a releasable recording, mm-hmm. and it sounds good and it sounds like the record, or I, I mean that's a and you can capture it on a whether it's a box set or the the, the Vegas DVD that he released, it that's a testament to preparedness and fearlessness, and Prince certainly was prepared. And he was absolutely fearless right. all the time. Now, about the One Night Alone box set where he had you right in the middle of the book, how did that come to be? Uh, we were on tour. I I believe it was the One Night Alone uh, live, or, or it was uh, Rainbow Children tour, yeah. I believe, one is, night alone. is the tour. One Night Alone. So yeah. 
for that record, Rainbow Children. And so it's a jazzier thing. It's something he hadn't done really before. He didn't play a lot of hits. There were some people that were disappointed. And, and later during the tour, he would talk to me about, he said, I'm going to have to mix in some hits, you know, because he was at, at that time keeping track of what, you know, he always listened to the fans. So he wanted to provide something that they would love as well. So, right. um, in the, in the middle of the tour, uh, we, play, that was a true world tour. That was, um, that i mean we played a lot of places and i think we did us and canada first if i remember correctly um or no was that 2004 i think in 2002 2002. i think it was some at some point we had a break though either way yeah and we had about we we had a break and and he uh i believe it was lynn anderson his uh someone that was working with prince she called me one night and said um he's gonna release your um he's going to release a box uh, or a, a a cd of the tour and i said great and um and she said he wants you to to write something about it and i said well what's what does he want and um uh she said i don't know she she said he was really cryptic. He wants something. And actually, the Just story something. of how I found that out yeah. was Lynn Lynn first. That's what it was. Lynn first called and said he wants to see you out here. So I drove out, and um, when I got there, Kim, the, who worked at the front desk, she said, "Oh, he's an A. He's expecting he's an A." So I walked into A, and he had a Jamba Juice, and he was listening to the live uh, tour. And I could tell it was my. I could tell it was the you know the mix from the tour, and it was loud. He listened to things really loud very loudly they were always really loud um and he and so he had it cranking and i knew he at least digitized it to the point of because he would go over and hit next and it would go right to the next track Hmm. right and so i knew it wasn't and all i did is record on dat on digital audio tape a lot of people don't even know what that is still so Hmm. um i just had two dat recorders uh linked and if he went over two hours i just started the next dat and so I would turn in those dats at the end of every night and make the security guy sign that I gave him two dats. Right. Right. Wow. So that was my protection. So there'd be no thieves in the temple tonight. Nope. No thieves <laughs> in the temple. So I, I always had to, and, and Prince and I had argued about that before he would, he made a comment to me in San Francisco at the Fillmore, I think. And I, and I, I said, Hey, I, I should really be offended that you think I'd be recording this conversation. And, and I said, my, I have to look out for your best interests. And so I've made your best interest mine. And he laughed and he said, mm, that's what all the engineers have told me. So he did, he still, after our relationship was solid as a drum tech and he knew the history and he knew he sort of built me, right? Mm-hmm. And I learned from him. He still never, he always would keep just, he just put one toe in the water. He was never a full confidence thing. So, and I kind of like that. I like the distance. I, I typically try and keep some distance from the artist with, with whom I work because um, I'm not going to go snowboarding with him. It's just... It's it's going to be it keeps the prof- it keeps the relationship on a, on a different level right. and and uh, anyway I, we listened he we listened for he didn't even turn it down he just nodded upward and said hello like that sipped on his Jamba Juice and kept playing tracks and after about five minutes and five tracks or so he turned it down and said sounds good right and I said <laughs> I said yeah it sounds great and he said I'm gonna release this as a record and I said cool man you're gonna release that engineering money. <laughs> and he said, oh, I, I see oh, money. I see how it is, Scotty. Yeah. And I said, no, I'm just saying. And he said, no, I'll break you off. And by the way, he didn't. Officially, 
Prince never broke me off. I got 25 free copies of the box set, but that was good enough for me. Um, and so, uh, and so I was really, I was proud of that, but that was, you know, I knew what came through the speakers and I knew how it was going to record and I knew it was going to sound good. And knowing that a lot of his ideas, he had just a million ideas and a lot of them wouldn't ever come to fruition. I thought it would go the way of other ideas, right? Stuff we had shot, stuff, there was stuff on videos, things when I was back when I was a drum tech that happened that I, that I said, well, that disappeared or that never made it anywhere. And so I thought it would go away. And that's when about a week later, Lynn called and said, it was a week later, Lynn called and said, mm-hmm. well, now he wants you to write something for this, this release. And I said, is he really going to release it? She said, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I said, well, what does he want? She said, I don't know. He was cryptic. And so I said, well, it's the band and you that are writing things. And I said, well, who cares what a sound guy thinks? She said, well, he, he, you're resp- he said you were responsible for the record. So wow, he wants your input. So it's pretty cool. Um, and, yeah. and, and he used to um, say that I was that. He said there are two extra band members, you and Silence. And what mm-hmm. he meant was I was the extra member of the MPG sort of. And then that other band member was Silence, meaning in the music he would create Silence and he would use I think he t- he did. He talked about it on the piano tour um, in Australia. He was talking about the space between the notes, right? right? He went into this thing about this. And and there was nobody that explored the silence of between notes than Prince. It was just really, it was super effective. And um, there, there, there are two extra band members, you mm-hmm. and silence. And so I was always uh, appreciative of, of where he put me and, and even calling me out in, especially in good ways on the PA that, you know, that's, he, he was the mountaintop of live mixing and everybody knows it. It's, it's not you too. And it's, it's not Peter Gabriel and it's not sting. It was Prince. Prince was, if you made it there, he's the Mount Everest, right? Because right. people knew he went in the crowd. He sat through the whole sound check in the stands uh-huh. and, and he put guys like, uh, Rob Colby and I, who were the two most successful engineers in, in his live, uh, a career, he, you were under that that kind of pressure, and it's how right. you respond to that, and not only just respond in a defensive way, but it, as say, well, I'm going to do this, and I have an idea for this, right. and you know what? I'm going to put my front of house mix in his monitors. Hmm. So, at the musicology tour, he his mix was my front of house mix, except without his vocals or his guitar and the horns, right. and the monitor, the new monitor guy, every week, <laughs> all he, all he had to do was add every guitar, Prince's vocal, and horns. <laughs> Yeah, because Prince always was it confounded him that band members wanted to hear just themselves, just the kick, the snare and the hat. Uh Right. Prince never he wanted experience what the fans were experiencing. He was all about the fans experience. And so he wanted to hear the the front of house mix. Right. Now, the one night alone tour for me, like it was a crossroads reference. I mean, honestly, critics were kind of like. His career was done right before 2000, before he did the 2001 hit and run tour. Then here he comes with One Night Alone being very ballsy, you know, with the Rainbow Trolling album where you couldn't get in a lot of places. Fans were kind of conflicted on it and it was great musically. But to me, it was it was challenging. And that tour to me had to see several times and saw him perform it at Paisley Park as well. It's kind of like, I was like, you can't stop this guy. He has so much talent. He's going to rise again. He won't be playing these like five to 8,000 seaters. He's going to be playing arenas again. And people are looking at me like I was crazy. But I think 
this whole one one night alone tour was a precursor to musicology and how well it was going to be because most of it was the the same band they used for one night alone but those shows that's a that very tour adroit was very important point. You, you that was the pre that was the precursor to that was the test run whether he knew it or not to musicology mm-hmm. i because it and it was structurally it was built very much the same you notice in in one night alone live he had that period where he was on the roads mm-hmm. right he, he he had a period where he would d- did some road stuff and on of course on musicology it was with the acoustic guitar which i think it was a precursor to the piano and microphone tour as right. well just yes. to, to go out there so people say january 21st was his first solo performance and i mm-hmm. in a way I, I think those those shows that the 30 minutes or, or so a night he did on musicology but but as you were talking about the one night alone live i i, I uh, neglected to, to finish that story i i went home um, after hearing from Lynn, I went home, got that phone call about wanting something. And Lynn said the band, you know, Rhonda wrote something about her bass and Renato, I think he listed his top 10 favorite songs of all time. So huh. I don't know. You can write whatever you want. And I thought, well, nobody's going to really care about the sound guy anyway. So <laughs> let me just write about my experience coming from being a drum tech and then coming to now to 2002 where I'm mixing him. Right. And mm-hmm. and I thought a cool part of that were these after shows because to me they were always the most fun. Oh yeah. And um, for the fans too. And fans too. Mm-hmm. And and if you were part of a Prince after show and you went to see him whether it be at Paisley Park or in one of the cities near you, it was the most exciting thing you had done before or or, or since. So um I I I talked a little bit about um I started typing and I'd never written anything in my life and I sort of, um, oh, I'd write a good sentence, you know, that was impactful and I'd move it down to the bottom and then I would find ways to piece it in and um, and I just wrote about being his drum tech and how I got that call and then I made the transition and fr- that was 90 to 94, then 2000, I came back as an engineer mm-hmm. um, and then and working with him as an engineer and then I talked about the live shows and when I, I got done with it, I thought, well, that's good right there. Okay, here I go. And I sent it, I emailed it to Lynn. And, um, oh, I, there were, at that point, there had only been a few times, maybe two times that he had called me without someone calling first, right? Because you always, right. it's it's infamous where you get the call saying Prince is going to call. And <laughs> and he didn't. He called the next morning at around 10. I got the, I got a call and, and, uh, and it was Paisley's number. It was showed up on the old, the old uh, um, caller ID. And I picked up and he said, Scotty, and I said, "Hey, hey, man, um, I like what you wrote. Uh, I, can I have your permission to take out two lines, or, or to take out uh, two statements?" And I said, uh-huh. "Okay, w- what what statements?" And he said, "He believes in and belongs to himself." And he and I said, "Okay," and he said, "You know who I belong to," and of course, he's to whom he's referring is Jehovah, right? right. Mm-hmm. So. I said, sure. I said, that still works. And he said, cool. And I'm going to send it to the other band members. It's inspiration. And I said, okay, cool, man. Huh. And I, I was always kind of smart enough. I think I learned back in the drum tech days to, to try and end the conversation with him. Um, it was always a good idea to end it with him because otherwise there would be this pregnant pause and then he would either turn his back on me or other people and then he would go, Thanks. And as soon as you got the thanks, that that meant you. You go. Oh, I, I think I'm supposed to leave. 
Right. So, um, by the way, I've, I've, I've heard, I've heard about this infamous Prince impersonation and I'm just in heaven right now. I'm cracking myself up over here. So keep it coming. (laughs) Oh, it was, uh, it was critical in my getting in the mindset of him, you know, because he had an economy of words and his words were impactful. The ones he did use. So they were, they were always, um, uh, He's easy to imitate for me because Uh I had to do that live anyway. And um, I've never wanted to be a performer that was on stage. I never wanted to be on stage. Um, But in checking a PA, I wouldn't just say check one, two, check one, two, right? That's what every sound engineer does. Two, one, two, check, check. And if you're British, it's right. Two, one, two, two, check, check, one, two. And and when Prince, uh, there's an engineer, I won't say who it is. uh, I know his name the uh, a monitor engineer when he fired him when prince fired him he he said to the guy he made him come up and he made him check the mic uh-huh. and he said sing through this mic and the guy said oh i'm not really a singer and he said um all right well are you uh, do you have kids and he said yeah well how many kids do you have and the guy said i have two kids and he said well i have kids too i have hundreds of kids and we're going to perform 18 of my kids tonight. Huh. Oh, wow. So what gives you the right to be the daycare provider for my children? Hmm. Snap. And that's one of those. Con- oh, yeah. I mean, you talk about throwing shade. That, That is it. And that was quintessential Prince. He was giving you the unanswerable question. And your lack of an answer, you were recusing yourself from your position. And then he'd said, thanks for coming. And that, and he had another guy, he had said, um, check this mic. And the guy said, two, one, two, one, two. And Prince said, he snatched the mic away. And he said, if I ever write a song called two, one, two, I'm sure the monitors are going to sound great. There you go. Thanks for coming. Yeah. So that sounds harsh, but in reality, and it is, that is harsh. Um, it's, it's not immoral, but it's unethical. It's not really nice right but it's if you were smart enough to pay attention you understood that that would make you more valuable and you really he didn't fall for the oh you know whether it be out of a drum tech or or a a sound engineer he didn't fall for the um same old thing that same old mentality and okay and i'm doing this band next and then i'm done i'm gonna go over to this band and i'm gonna and he, he, you had to focus, you had to know the material. I had to know every delay time. I had to know what I was going to do. I had to carry a DAT recorder on me at all times. There was always a plan C because A was planned and B was going to be used and you had to have a C and D and, um, how I was going to do this and how am I going to do that? And everything was thought out and there was a lot of seemingly stressful time, but that was mm-hmm. all very, very critical in, um, being there and being frosty for right. this guy that could do anything. And and he built people. He built really good. I mean, band members, if you're a band member with Prince, you it's that that was it. And a successful sound engineer, successful technician, that was people will always still most people do and you interview a lot of people talk and those people if you ask them what the pinnacle of their career was, they all they're all going to mention Prince. Right. <laughs> it's the most important thing they've done in their career. Absolutely. Um, See, I just find that interesting, like with the whole 10 a.m. phone call to you, because throughout the the 10 years, the last 10 years where I did stuff with him more closely and each year it got more and more close. 
And then years before that, just doing stuff on the outside, like literally because him calling in the morning, I'd hear about him having morning meetings where whether it was Ruth, Julia, Karen, Trevor, to where they'd have notes um, brought up like daily stuff that he wanted done or questions that they needed to ask him for certain things. And then I'd always get a phone call afterwards or an email. It'd always be in the morning. I'd be like, did he sleep or did he not? I just find that all interesting. And just on my side, there were so many projects that were discussed that never saw the light of day. Now, one project I believe that you worked on that did see the light of day that a lot of fans look on very, very endearing is The Undertaker. Yes. What about that? Um, just another day, right? And uh, it was uh, the power trio that he put together with Michael Bland and uh, Sonny Thompson mm-hmm. and um, and Prince playing guitar. And it was fun to hear that. And you talk about space. I mean, there was so much space in that music and those two really can't be beat. Um, so it was fun. There was a, It was a big set. They were rehearsing on this big set. Uh, Michael was in almost a cornucopia or something. It looked like a cave and Michael was at the mouth of it. Um, Sonny was positioned there somewhere to Michael's left, stage right, and Prince was in the center. And we would rehearse during the days and one night he wanted to shoot uh, something. I was side stage and I had a mic. Um, I had a Sennheiser mic that I used and uh, Prince had me, um, I had a I had a compliment of um, uh, percussion. So I had castanets and I had shakers and I had uh, kibasa and I had uh, eggs and I had all the little percussion instrument and I had jingle bells as well. So um, I had everything over there in my own microphone and that was at Prince's request. He just said, if there's something that needs it, just throw that in there. And I said, okay. And I would during rehearsals, I'd try a few things and he might look over and just shake his head and I went, okay. But um, I didn't do all that much of it. But dur- And then he called Paris, uh, Paris Patton who was his director at the time, his director du jour, or director, you know, through that period. And Paris came out and shot it alone. He brought a ladder in the sound stage. It was, I believe it was a sound engineer was back there at, at the desk, um, rolling, uh, dat recording. It was Paris Patton shooting it. And it was just me, I believe Magoo might've been there. Um, but I think that was it. Um, and, and they just were shooting. So we didn't think anything would, you know, would happen with it. But at one point he does, um, I think he's, yeah, he's song he starts the song, the undertaker, right? It is, it's in the beginning of the song, the undertaker. And he leans up and he says, and he's on camera and he says, Scotty shake something. And, yes. and then Michael starts the groove. Doom, doom, dang, doom, 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 doom. And I just picked up jingle bells or something and just sort of shook him into the mic. And it, I didn't think anything of it because that happened all the time. You understand? Right. So when he, uh, when it was, oh, maybe, you know, months later when he had Paris, uh, Paris Patton, um, shoot, uh, Vanessa Marcel, who went on to act in a lot of different projects, uh, mm-hmm. when she, um, uh, they might have been seeing each other at the time, uh, she and Prince, but uh, they were. She would clearly she was spending a lot of time out there, mm-hmm. and shot some some scenes. Um, quite interesting um, subject matter as well, in retrospect. Mm-hmm. And you yes. you see her come in, and they have a whole storyline that's threaded throughout that. But to us, it was just um, another night of rehearsal that he shot on um, on video video cassette i think i mean big vhs cassettes right and um 
and then it ended up seeing and getting out. And, um, yeah, that was the first time he had, so people will come up and say, Hey, wait, are you the Scotty from 1990? You know, what year was that doc? Do you know? Was it 91 or something? 92? For Undertaker, that was like 93, 94. Yeah, I'd say 93. Yeah. So are you that Scotty? I said, yep. I I covered all that area. And my Mm -hmm. area of coverage was 90 to 94, really on drums. Mm -hmm. And then it was 2000 till his passing, basically just before his passing in um, this year. So we, you know, we had a relationship that was, um, that was, uh, it was a good relationship. Uh, and I would get called back to do special projects out at the house in LA and, mm-hmm. and, um, there, I was always sort of on the call list and sometimes I'd be touring. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do the, um, uh, I was a touring already the 21 nights in, um, uh, London, right. Mm-hmm. That, that I was busy for that. And I had to turn that down because I had already been out on something. So it was just availability and, uh, desire. I always had the desire to go back because there's no. Um, more challenging place to work and the the payoff is really um it's not it's it's industry-wide people know you can't survive there i remember doing some show a couple of years ago and i think i was running sound for the fray or tegan and sarah somebody and Uh and um the the front of house guy for that day in that venue said well who have you mixed and i said uh you know i just just a bunch of people and um and uh the monitor uh, guy for that day walked up and said, Oh, Hey, I know you, aren't you, you mixed Prince, didn't you? And the, the guy, the front house, uh, technician said, Oh, big deal. Everybody's mixed him. And this guy, and the monitor guy said, no, no, no. He mixed him for like five or six years. And I got Oh, because that's, that's that in the industry, you knew that that was, if you could make it there, you know, that's the, that's the old adage. Many are called, few are chosen. Right. And, um, especially in the monitor position running running engineering monitors for prince because you had to make it sound like it was a record up there and uh that was a tough task but we had a good relationship and he when that box set came out finally came out it was really sweet and i dare say cute i left i went and got some meat product off premises at paisley park Uh gobbled all the meat i could and got got back after after dinner and takumi uh, who was his guitar tech at the time? It was right. must have been the end of 2002. Takumi's a great guy. He came up and he said, "Hey, um, Prince wanted you. Uh, he wants to talk to you." And I said, "Okay, well, I'm just uh, I'm, I'm headed back to my desk." And I walked back to my desk, and Prince was in front of my desk, and he said, "I left something up there for you." And he, he said, um, "You might want to get it framed," and which I think is funny because yeah. here he gave me the artwork. He gave me what I'd written minus the line that he took out huh. and then it was all printed with artwork behind it. it's really beautiful and there are shots of the show and my, the, the words are curved i was really proud i was beaming i just that was great i it was gonna see the light of day this this box set and right. but then he and he got it he it got it from the printer but he didn't frame it so he just <laughs> set it on my desk and said um, you might want to get that framed so i thought that was funny that's awesome so he uh uh, he was he was cool. Then we had to talk about it after Jay Leno, right? We did Jay Leno in at some point, and he said um, he said, you know, uh, we were outside of a club in L.A. after the Leno show that night. Dominic's. What's that? Dominic's. Yes. How yeah. do you know this stuff, Doc? I was there. Yeah, and he's got a weird, weird sense of memory that he can recall things like that. Yeah. 
<laughs> I know what uh, songs were played that night and everything. Go right ahead. So we, so he called me out of the club. And if you remember this, Doc, there was sort of a lattice entrance to that club. It was yeah. like a lattice fence, but it was tall. It was like eight feet tall. And you could kind of see through it. And it had mm-hmm. vines on it, if I remember right. And Prince called me out there and he wanted to talk to me. We went out. And it was still daylight. It was still, I mean, it was evening. Um, but it was light out. And he he said, uh, I want to thank you for what you wrote for the record. This is as much your record as it is mine. Cool. And this is word wow. for word what he said. And he said, I read it and I knew you understood what it's like to be from Minneapolis. And then I read it again. And then I read it a third time. And he was doing it in this, you know, in a dramatic way. Mm-hmm. And then I read it again, Scotty. And I knew. I said, this is somebody who understands Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. And then I went, I said, cool, man, cool. And that one I didn't get to end. He he just said, cool, let's go. And he went back in. And I had to trail behind him. But wow. I was, so that was one of the few times I didn't get to go, all right, man, and just walk off. Yeah. <laughs> that was always my, all right, man. Yeah. And I'd just take off. He got Before you, you got time. the dreaded, thanks. Yeah. Oh, I love what it. A, what a weekend that was because you had the Leno, then he went to Dominic's, and then the Vegas shows. Correct. You know, that were being filmed by Sena for the DVD. That's right. <clears throat> crazy, crazy That's weekend. Right. And, and you know, there was never any, and, and this is how brave he was. This is how, this is how he, a testament to his fearlessness. We went to Vegas and, and went to the Aladdin. Mm hmm. It was, Senna would, you could find out from her what, I don't know how many cameras it was. It may have been, you know, 10 or 12. It seemed like more. It seemed like that many. It might have been eight cameras. I don't know how many it was. And they did pick up shots at Paisley Park, by the way. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, at a later date, Sheila came in, different musicians came in and, and mm-hmm. did pick up shots because they just couldn't have people on stage during the show. He didn't want that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, before the show, they had all these people out there testing cameras. No one asked me for any audio outputs. No one ever came up and said, can we have audio outputs? And I looked at Mark, my assistant on that tour, and I said, I guess we're just going to record it on DAT like normal. And he said, okay, that's cool. And then just then, uh, Trevor Allen came over and said, hey, he wants to talk to you. And this is before the show. Mm -hmm. I went went to the back, walked in, knocked on his – it was very typical. I would knock. I would would go, Scotty, like that. (laughs) And he would say, come in. And I opened the door and he was doing his hair. Or he was doing something, getting ready in the mirror. And he said, you know, we're shooting this tonight. And I said, yep. You know, we're going to go for recording tonight. And I said, hey, man, I go for recording every night. And he said, I heard that. <laughs> and then I just whoop, quick dived out the door, let the door shut. And on a good line, right? He was the yeah. king. of. He was good. He was always good at ending on a good line. He would leave if he had a good enough line. He would leave a rehearsal on that line and then change clothes and come back. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Classic. Pete. He did that to. That's awesome. I don't want to say it, but I, th- I think it was Tommy Elm. He was uh, Tommy Barbarella. Tommy yeah. was learning the uh, the when doves cry, the big flourish at the end. Right. <clears throat> and if unless my memory is totally screwed up, I think he, he not only did he play it, I think he might have played it back facing Tommy like he and he might have gone around the keyboard way better right he nailed it and then he just pimp walked out of studio C changed clothes and came back 10 minutes later just to punctuate 
how badass it was. That's awesome. Now, two things of the Aladdin. I know that Sana and her crew were doing the handheld cameras, which some of them weren't tall enough. <laughs> that sometimes you got a little bit of few people in the crowd. That's why they probably need to do the reshots of Paisley. Another yeah. thing is, though, uh, when he performed the Aladdin before, I think in 2000, in December, which was interesting because it was just December as well. Chris knows that one. Uh, December 10th, 2000. Yeah, I think I was there on stage. December 9th. But December 9th. Sorry, sorry about sorry, that. Sorry, my bad. Anyway, um, what's interesting about that, what I was told by Aladdin crew in 2000, is that he liked the sound so much at Aladdin, he actually told his people not to have the equipment out. I don't know if that happened for the One Night Alone show in Vegas. I heard that's what happened. I don't know if that's what made him choose the Aladdin again. Did you guys use your own equipment or was it the Aladdin's that time? Uh, no, it was, it was ours. It was the, the sound provider I was using at the time. Uh, cool. We brought in PA for that. Uh, we were bringing it to all, all the venues, you know, bringing our own system. And he always wanted to control. There were times that we had to use, especially, of course, the after shows. We couldn't bring in a system. We just had to fly with whatever they had there to, to much to my i mean i had i had fits and you know i'm bald now i would if i had had hair when i was mixing for him i would have pulled that out because there were times that it was just trying to make a silk purse out of a sow's ear it had to have enough low end it had to punch it he had to feel it coming back a lot of those after shows started with scotty <laughs> right um except for he, he was i mean he was something a lot of fans may or may not know about um is that he was super generous when it came to um financial consideration for those after shows mm-hmm. for the band and crew and there were times that uh the times that we didn't get any money and we would do two or three after shows in a row and everyone kind of start to grumble and then we'd do another after show and then you get 2200 bucks in cash every person there and mm-hmm. to my recollection it might be incorrect but You'd have to ask Trevor Allen or some somebody who was running stuff back then. Um, he would he would take the door, right? So say say you charge thirty bucks a person, and there were a thousand people, so you'd have thirty thousand dollars from that. The 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 club got the bar, and Prince got the door, and Prince would pay the food and bed food and beverage bill, whatever the band and crew racked up. He'd pay the F and B bill. And take the rest of the money and split it equally between the band and the crew. Right. So that was a common a common thing. He wouldn't say, "We'll pay the band all this much," and then the, he would just say, "Just give the rest to the band and crew." So cool. there were nights where we make lots and lots of money. I remember there was an after show in Dallas that I um, Trevor came up and said, "Here you go, man." He said, "Give it to you," and it was and I just said, "Okay," and I was smart enough to just jam it in my pockets i got back to the huh. it was the last show of a tour if i remember right i think it was dallas and i just <clears throat> took it out when i got to the hotel and it was six grand in cash just gave it to me wow nice um generous and yeah super generous and you know you hear about his generosity it largely went unnoticed but he it um during his lifetime but he he was he could be really really generous um financially that was uh-huh. um um, that was a constant throughout my, ex- my experience with him. Right. Definitely. What we're going to do is right here, guys, we're going to end part one. And we're going to be having more discussions with Scotty on the next episode. Scotty, sit tight. You guys, thank you so much for supporting us, listening. Keep hitting us up. Let us know if you have any questions. Uh, 
for Scotty in the future when we have him back on. Keep it funky, y'all. Much love.